So it has dawned on me that maybe you don't know who I am. Well, my name is Sam Parker, and I'm the old married guy who sits in the back of your classes, and you probably look around and go, who's that dude? Um, really, the only important things that you need to know about me is that I love Jesus, I love my wife, I love my dog, and I love the Oklahoma State Cowboys in that order. And that's really all you need to know. So with that, turn to your neighbor and say, let the nations be glad. Amen. Amen. What are you waiting for? The words bounced in my head and I couldn't make it stop. It was the summer of 2016, August 6th to be exact, and I was coming home from an internship in China with ELIC, and while I was on that internship, by the providence of God, I was put on a team with this cute girl from Joplin. Her name was Annie. We were with each other 24-7 due to the nature of our work, and naturally, we got to know each other very well. One might even say that we fell in love. But, alas, we were interns, and we had a specific task in a short-term setting, and there was no romantic relationships or dating allowed until we were back in the Western Hemisphere, so I waited. It was only a month of waiting, but it felt like an eternity, but then... August 6th came, the day we were supposed to fly home, and by the providence of God, Annie and I had seats next to each other on the 13-hour plane ride home from Beijing to San Francisco. <laughs> Actually, to tell you the truth, there's a girl named Elizabeth, and I traded my first-class ticket to get the middle seat next to Annie, but that is neither here nor there. So on the way home, there was, you know, these long plane rides. If you've ever been on one, you probably have a screen that has a GPS tracker that shows where the plane is over the ocean. And about six or seven hours, there's this imaginary line, kind of like the equator, uh, that goes through the middle of the Pacific Ocean called the International Date Line. What a fortuitous pun, if ever there was one. <laughs> And after about six or seven hours, we crossed the international date line and we were technically back in the Western Hemisphere. And then all of a sudden, you know those thin airplane blankets that you get? Her slender, beautiful hand came out from underneath the blanket and, and rested so gently on that armrest in the middle seat that you typically fight over. And I asked myself, what are you waiting for? The words bounced around in my head and I couldn't make it stop. And there, somewhere over the Pacific Ocean, on August 6th, for the second time, August 6th happened again, <laughs> I took my wife's hand for the first time. She wasn't my wife then, of course. And I'm not talking pancake, I'm talking full interdigitation. <laughs> And if you're anything like me, you don't like to wait for things, but friends, that moment was so worth the wait. And as wonderfully rapturous as that moment was, I am waiting for something better still. Ben mentioned it from Revelation 19, the great wedding feast of the Lamb where the multitude from every nation, tribe, people, and language are in attendance and they are giving glory to God. Christ's bride, the church, is lovely and indeed we ought to care for her as such with a critical eye, but the local church is a glorious thing. 
And through her, God plans to reach the nations. But the moment that we forget that the local church is also a global church, we separate God's blessing from God's purpose, a mistake that David Platt calls the ultimate disconnect. My task today is not so much to convince you that the church is global. You know that. You've been in classes here. My task is to help us identify with the global church as it is illuminated by scripture and inspire us to use our blessing for God's purpose. So friends, we have something worth waiting for. Jesus is coming soon. One day we will worship at the throne in global community and in perfect unity. This is the picture we get in Revelation 7 that you just heard read. We see at the beginning of the chapter the four angels about to judge the earth, but first the servants of God, the 144,000 are sealed. Maybe you've heard this number before. Um, If you haven't, it's important to know, thank you Shane, that in Revelation numbers are weighed, not counted. When I was a kid, I was really worried about this passage, never mind the whole dragon thing in chapter 12. I was afraid that I wouldn't be part of the 144,000. I mean, come on, that's the population of Joplin in the middle of a weekday. But 144,000 isn't uh, a literal number. Chad Ragsdale says he doesn't read Revelation literally or figuratively, he reads it seriously. 144,000 simply means a complete and whole number. It's as if John was saying all the children of God were there and not one was left out. And don't be afraid about the 144,000 of Israel. The New Testament is very clear that all those who have faith in Jesus are a part of this family of God. The most prominent metaphor for the family of God in the New Testament, along with the church, is the house of Israel. This is Galatians 3, if you've read it. Now that that's established, and I hope you're a little bit more at ease with the symbolism here, let's talk about this number, the 144,000. This group is mentioned only in Revelation 7 and in Revelation 14. 7 doesn't give us a whole lot of information about them, but 14 gives us a little bit more detail. From the first five verses, we know this group is the full number of those who are the servants of God and have been sealed with his name. We know that they are standing on Mount Zion with a lamb, that is to say that they are with God in his presence. And we know that they sing a new song of worship and that they have kept themselves pure and blameless. And finally, we know that they follow the lamb wherever he goes. Remember that for later. Immediately after the appearance of the 144,000 in both chapters 7 and in chapters 14 of Revelation, John sees a wonderful vision of a global church in worship or the global church called to worship. In chapter 7 he says, after this I looked and there before me was a great multitude that no one could count from every nation, tribe, people, and language standing before the throne and before the Lamb. And in chapter 14, John sees an angel who has the gospel to proclaim to those who live on earth, to every nation, tribe, people, and language. The angel said in a loud voice, fear God and give him glory because the hour of his judgment has come. Worship him who made the heavens, the earth, the sea, and the springs of water. Church, this is our hope and our future. It is going to happen. That one day, all people, regardless of race, gender, socioeconomic status, language, or anything else, will worship the Lamb on his throne. The vision is something worth waiting for. Yet, if you're anything like me, you're not fond of waiting. So while we are waiting, I think we can begin to see a glimpse of this church now. How? 
by identifying ourselves with a global church. We, as the local church of Ozark Christian College here, have an obligation to the global church to join them in worship, in prayer, and in suffering. Our obligation to the global church is to follow the Lamb wherever He goes. In Revelation 5, we see the Lamb purchasing people from every nation. In chapter 7 and in chapter 14, those people from every nation are standing before the Lamb. Friends, following the Lamb wherever He goes not only leads to blessing, it is a blessing. If you'll take a step back with me into history, I'm reminded here of the 67th Psalm. Let's read some of it together, starting in verse 1. It says, may God be gracious to us and bless us and make his face to shine upon us so that your ways may be known on earth, your salvation among all nations. The psalm is a bit of a chiasm, Ozark students. Verse 1 and verse 6, the beginning and the end of the psalm, proclaim the blessing of God. And verse 2 and verse 7, give the reason for the blessing, so that your ways may be known on earth, so that all the ends of the earth will fear him. Platt rightly points out that this simple psalm has one truth and one danger. Here is the one truth. God blesses his people for the sake of his praise among all peoples, that all the earth might know the way of God. The most important word in the psalm is that, that God's saving power might be made known among all the nations. Then the psalmist goes on to erupt in verse three, let the peoples praise you, O God, let all the peoples praise you. And just in case you didn't get it, he says it again in verse five, and that word peoples here refers to tribes and clans and ethnic groups of the world. So turn to your neighbor and say, let the nations be glad. There's a truth in this psalm and there is also a danger in this psalm. We are prone to disconnect God's blessing from God's purpose. The church in America is in the top tier of the wealthiest people to ever live in history. Yet, friends, there are over 6,000 ethnic groups in the world comprising about 2 billion people who have never heard of the saving power of God. It's not that they've heard the good news of God's grace and have rejected it. It's that they haven't even heard it. Yet with supposedly two billion Christians on earth, how is that possible? I fear that as the local church, sometimes we separate God's blessing from God's purpose. So friends, my challenge and my word to you today is I'm about to leave Ozark. My DT, if you will, is this. God's blessing cannot be separated from God's purpose. Do not separate God's blessing from God's purpose. Don't make that disconnect. How do we do that, though? I think the answer is here in Revelation 14 with the 144,000. This group is sealed for God because they follow the Lamb wherever He goes. I can think of no greater blessing than to follow the Lamb, Jesus, wherever He goes. And if His purpose is for all peoples to praise Him and to restore all things to Himself, then I will follow Him wherever He goes. But we have to ask the question, where do we go? Where does He go? How ought we to follow Him? We've already seen that the Lamb stands before the nations and the complete number of God's servants. 
I think that as a local church, we cannot neglect our obligation to the global church to love her, to support her, to pray for her, to worship with her brothers and sisters all over the world. That's why I love what we do with the lyrics every day. And also, we can't neglect to go and to bring others into that global church so that one day we will worship at the throne of the Lamb in complete unity. But the Lamb not only goes to the nations, the Lamb also goes to the slaughter. He is the slain lamb, after all. And the writer of Hebrews says in chapter 10 to a suffering church tempted to break their loyalty to Christ, you need to persevere so that when you have done the will of God, you will receive what was promised for in just a little while, he who is coming will come and will not delay. And my righteous one will live by faith and I take no pleasure in the one who shrinks back. But we do not belong to those who shrink back and are destroyed, but to those who have faith and are saved. I'm not telling you to go out and seek martyrdom. That would be stupid. That's a bad idea. But for the sake of his glory among the nations, you have to know that sometimes following the lamb means going to the slaughter. It's happening to the global church even as we speak. Yet if it means one day a global community of saints worshiping the lamb together, then God give us patient endurance. Because one Friday, 2,000 some odd years ago, our lamb humbled himself. He prayed, Father, your will be done, and I think he was asking for patient endurance. Friends, the church is not just come and see, it is go and tell. The church is global because Christians of all races, genders, demographics, and what have you have followed the lamb wherever he goes, so do not separate your blessing from God's purpose for the nation. Our sacrificial lamb sets our example. He is in very nature God, but did not consider equality with God something to be used to his own advantage. Rather, he made himself nothing by taking the very nature of a servant, being made in human likeness, and being found in appearance as a man, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to death, even to death on a cross. Therefore, God exalted him to the highest place and gave him the name that is above every name, that at the name of Jesus, every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth and every tongue acknowledge that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. We have been created, saved, and blessed by God for the praise of God among all the peoples of the world. And one day, the sovereign king, the righteous judge, and the gracious savior will return. And you want to talk about God causing his face to shine upon us. Revelation 22 says we will see his face. Oh, let's live for that day. Let's give toward that day. Let's die for that day when we will join together with all the peoples because Jesus was lifted up and he stretched out his hands and he gathered all peoples to himself and we will take each other's hands, full interdigitation, and we will give our God the praise he is due. So turn to your neighbor and say, let the nations be glad. Thank you.